Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, 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 hey guys. Thanks for joining me on the couch for another Sunday night episode of the Brain Love Podcast. This is Dr. Delvina, of course, your host for the Brain Love Podcast. Listen, if you're not already following me on social media, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I have some very good episodes coming out in 2021. I've been building my schedule, trying to, um, you know, just contribute to living healthier lives, helping people to live healthier lives and helping people to understand what happens with the brain and mental health challenges and mental health disorders. Tonight's episode, I'm interviewing Daniela Shaw, who is uh, a mental health professional, a brain love colleague. I initially interviewed her for 99 Jams Community Matters. As some of you may know, I'm a guest host on 99 Jams Community Matters, which airs every Sunday morning at 5 a.m. We do two shows, one at 5 a.m. and one at 5.30. And Ms. Shaw, who's a licensed clinical social worker, um, did come on to talk about her nonprofit the Mental Exchange Incorporated. She's the founder and executive director, but she's also the owner of a private practice called Peace at Last Counseling. So you'll hear me talk with Ms. Shaw. We're discussing anxiety, depression, and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, all of which Ms. Shaw will explain to you and describe she suffered from starting in high school, actually. So when we talk about the prevalence of any anxiety disorder among adults, we know that almost 20%, it's about 19% of U.S. adults have had some sort of anxiety disorder in the past year. Um, any past prevalence of anxiety disorder was higher for females than males. So we know that women seem to experience anxiety at higher rates than men. And uh, we also discussed depression, and the National Institute of Mental Health estimates that 16.2 million U.S. adults have had at least one major depressive episode in 2016. That's what, that's the latest data that we have, and that this represents almost 7% of the U.S. adult population. Depression is most common in, in adults ages 18 to 25, and so, you know, we went into a discussion about what is anxiety, what is depression, what are the different types of disorders. And in the end, we talked about treatments and um, interventions, how we can um, attenuate or how we can make these things better. We know that students suffer from anxiety, and Ms. Shaw will explain to you how she began to suffer from anxiety in high school and also continued to suffer in college. Anxiety is the top presenting concern among college students. About 42% of college students have reported anxiety, and this is followed by depression, which is about 36% of students. And, of course, relationship problems. So when you guys wonder, why is she always talking about relationship and sex? Well, because that's the thing that is standing in the way of so many students being great, our relationship problems. So it's great to get a handle on that and have, a, have an open di discussion and dialogue, pardon me, about relationship problems. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's why I do what I do, so that we can be better informed and we can live healthier lives. So why are anxiety issues so common in America? 
Um, so no one really seems to have the exact answer, but we know that recently anxiety can be connected to or associated with things like social media. If you haven't listened to some of my earlier episodes on the podcast, please take the time and go back and listen to some of those earlier episodes. Um, during the month of May, I was on um, 105.1, Hot 105 with Shelby Russian and Big Lip. And uh, they were doing something special because May was Mental Health Awareness Month. And they had me on as their mental health expert once a week. And we talked about how social media interferes with uh, the livelihood of, of folks, you know, not just older adults, but also teens. So we know anxiety is associated with factors like social media, but also things like what people don't think about poor sleeping habits. We got to be able to sleep well. We have to develop better sleeping habits. Um, and so coming up soon in 2021, probably in February, I will have a sleep expert on Therapy Thursday. For those of you who have been following me for a while now, I, I began doing these Therapy Thursdays. They were lives on Facebook. Um, and then I converted to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Delvina Thomas, D-R, Delvina, spelled D-E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, Thomas. I'll be doing a special with a pulmonologist. Pulmonologists are physicians. They're um, specialized and they specialize in internal medicine and then they do additional training um, in pulmonology and critical care, some of them. And so they will um, treat patients for sleep disorders. They they conduct sleep studies on folks who struggle with sleeping. So whether that's falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up during the night, those sorts of things. So tonight you'll hear me talk to Miss Daniela Shaw. Again, she is the owner of a private practice called Peace at Last Counseling. You can go to her website, peaceatlastcounseling.com, P-E-A-C-E, at last counseling. So please stay on the couch and listen as Daniela and I talk about all of these different things that I just mentioned, the depression, the anxiety, and also I didn't really introduce too much PTSD, but post-traumatic stress disorder, which I think is under, is underdiagnosed in the black communities. But Miss Daniela Shaw will talk about how she developed PTSD from taking care of her mother, who was suffering from cancer. Uh, she was initially diagnosed with skin cancer and that metastasized and um, in less than a year it killed her. So thank you again for your support, for joining us on the couch. And here is my Sunday night episode of the Brain Love Podcast. Hey, guys. So tonight I have a special guest on. Her name is Daniela N. Shaw. That's S-H-A-W. She is a licensed clinical social worker and LCSW specializing in anxiety and depression management adolescence, grief and loss, and family therapy. And the name of her business is Peace at Last Counseling. Welcome to the show, Daniela. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Dr. Delvina. Of course, of course. So, um, you know, some of you may have heard Daniela and I talk on uh, 99 Jams Community Matters. I interviewed her to talk about her nonprofit. Daniela, what's the name of your nonprofit again, please? Mental Exchange. Okay. So guys, Daniela has a nonprofit called the Mental Exchange, and she also has her own private practice, which is peaceatlastcounseling.com. You can go, I'm sorry, it's Peace at Last Counseling, and the website is peaceatlastcounseling.com. That's P-E-A-C-E, 
atlastcounseling.com. So Danielle, I told you I wanted us to have um, a conversation about different things. You know, you mentioned when we were um, doing that interview for 99 Jams that you yourself personally have um, endured anxiety. Um, you said that you have PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder to my listeners, as well as anxiety. So I wanted to talk with you about that. Definitely. How old are you, Daniela? I am 31 years young. Okay. Yeah. He's still a baby, still yeah. learning and growing, but you know, yeah, I'm sure you've learned a lot. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm in my fifties, to be honest with you. Since I was younger, I've always had a quote unquote older soul. So yeah. I've never felt my age. Wow. So let's see what, when you were 12 or 13, what were you, what did you feel like? Did you feel older? I did. I was raised the only child. So I always had to entertain myself, always had to be responsible. You know, um, my mom made sure that I was very well disciplined, very responsible. I didn't play outside much. I was always in the house reading, growing, thinking. And I would often listen to old school music like Marvin Gaye, Earth, Wind and Fire, um, the Commodores. And I would often have these discussions with God about, you know, how the world could be different and mm. what could I do to help make the world different? So very deep thinker. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that sounds pretty deep. Having discussions with God um, at such a young age, what, in elementary school? Mm -hmm. elementary were were you and your mother, um, was your family religious? Did you have to go to church a couple of times every week? Were you in church every Sunday? Yes. Now, my family, I wouldn't say they were religious. We did go to church, though. Every Sunday, Wednesday night, um, I went to children's church. I went to youth group. But there was always a balance, you know. Mm -hmm. So my mom still taught me, you know, to have freedom of thinking, you know, free will, and to understand that God understands we're human beings, not robots. So that's always been the core of our Christianity. You know, we follow the Bible and its principles and we're still human and in our flesh. So, okay. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. And so, and, and basically what did that, what did you interpret that to mean as a child that God knows we're human and we're not robots? That everyone's walk on this earth looks different. So mm -hmm. what I'm doing may look different than what you're doing may look different than what um, other people are doing and that we need to embrace our differences. You know, mm -hmm. self-expression is so important. Our creativity is so important. Our lived experiences, our thought patterns. And I think the more we embrace our differences, the more we're actually able to help heal as a collective, you know, because mm -hmm. then we're operating in our gifts and our strengths, not what yeah. society wants us to be. Yeah, yeah. And when I think of being human and not a robot, I think about how life is not, a, there's no pattern to life. You know, robots do the same things over and over and over and over and over and over and over. They're programmed um, as human beings. We're free to make choices and decisions. And sometimes those choices and decisions may not be the best thing for us in that circumstance, but it's still our, our freedom to to make those choices, to be able to uh, make different decisions and have a different life, um, basically on a day to day basis, if that's what we choose to do. So. What, uh, what re religion did, did your family claim or profess to? We're Christian. 
Pentecostal Baptist, you know, but Christian at the core. Pentecostal yeah. Baptist. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so you saying like one side of the family was Pentecostal and the other side was Baptist? Well, my grandmother was raised Baptist. Mm-hmm. But then when she moved to New York, moved all the kids to New York, started going to Pentecostal churches. And my mom and my aunt, when they moved down here to Florida from New York, we continue going to Pentecostal churches. Okay. So, yeah. Gotcha. Assemblies of God. Yeah. Just sort of Pentecostal. Now, were you born here or in New- or in New York? I was born while my mom was visiting Florida. <laughs> and then I lived in New York as a toddler. And my mom wanted me to start school down here because she said she okay. wanted me to have a better life. You know, they were from the Bronx. And, you know, the whole era after the 70s and 80s, after the crack pandemic, New York was really bad at that time, you know. Um, and she wanted us to move to Florida and have a better life. So we moved to the Miami Gardens area went to school in Miramar, you know, Broward and did a fabulous job as a single mother. So. Okay. That was my next question. If you mm-hmm. were raised in a single parent household. I was for most of my childhood. And then in middle school, I'll probably say seventh grade, eighth grade. That's when she had a boyfriend. He also had um, two daughters and a son. So we had a blended family. Mm-hmm. So that was very interesting <laughs> through middle school and high school as a blended family. Um, there were some difficulties, but we're family, you know, and I will say now it's amazing because we're closer than ever. You know, we're just brother, mm-hmm. sister, dad, okay. no step or half anything. We're just so, so your mother and, and um, this man, they're still together? No, my mom actually passed away. She passed away seven years ago. So, uh, yeah, okay. mm-hmm. she passed away seven years ago. So, no, they're no longer together. Oh, Thank you. Thank you. That's how um, my first episode of PTSD occurred throughout her course, because she was struggling with cancer. So in the hospital with her and her getting her therapy um, and sort of taking care of her, you know, being the primary caregiver, that's what Mm -hmm. sort of led to those first episodes and anxiety. She had anxiety as well. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and, and um, dive into that. You're in the club that no one, likes to be a member of and that's the club of the motherless folks the motherless people I'm in that club as well my mother passed away in 2005 and I always tell someone no one who has not lost their mother if we're speaking specifically about mothers we could say a parent but specifically speaking about mothers no one who's never lost a mother can really tell you how you feel or how you will feel because how would they know there's really no way you can't empathize that well when you haven't lost your mother. You just can't. It's just not natural for you to do or to be able to place yourself in that in that situation. So, um, you know, it's a it's a challenging, challenging thing. And you mentioned that you were taking care of your mother prior to her passing. You said that your mom had cancer. Yes, she had cancer. So. Prior to your mother being diagnosed with cancer, had you, you're 31 now, you said your mom passed away seven years ago. So you were around 24, mm-hmm. age 24 or so. Um, prior to that, had you discovered or had you recognized that you had any type of anxiety or depression prior to your mother being diagnosed with cancer? I did. I would say in high school, I noticed it. The transition from middle school to high school. I started getting lost in my thoughts a lot more. My self-esteem was a little bit lower. 
Um, I had really bad body image issues, you know, which eventually led to me restricting food because I wanted to be slimmer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just felt like a lot of people didn't understand me. And in my feeling like a lot of people didn't understand me, I also had this theme of wanting to make it out and do better economically, Mm -hmm. wanting to have a good life for myself, for my children and all these different things. So it's almost like I had this warrior mindset, you know, to always get straight A's to always study, to not get involved with too many boys, to make sure I don't get pregnant. I mean, there was just so much going on mentally that people weren't aware of because I also am very private and I hold everything inside. So that's a lot to hold inside. Mm -hmm. So you said the transition from middle school to high school, you mentioned that you had some challenges with, um, with body, body image. Mm -hmm. Um, and you said you seem to get lost in your thoughts a lot. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's because you were overwhelmed by all of those things you were thinking about. I got to get out. I got to get out. I have to be successful to be successful. I have to get these straight A's. Yes. And then yeah. I was also on the chunky side as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was also over sexualized a lot because I had, you know, a nice figure at a young age. So mm-hmm. all those oh. mm-hmm. Yeah. So guys, <clears throat> we're talking about anxiety. I'm talking to Ms. Daniela Shaw. She's a, a licensed clinical social worker. So I just want to interject. There are several different types of anxiety disorders. Um, the one that folks may know the most is generalized anxiety disorder. And of course, there's panic disorder as well. Those are people who suffer from panic attacks. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little more because Ms. Shaw mentioned that she started to have panic attacks when your mother became ill with cancer. I believe it's what you said. And of course, there's social anxiety disorder and there's specific phobias like being afraid of heights, being afraid of being on a bridge, being afraid of snakes and things like that. And there's something called separation anxiety, um, agoraphobia. So there's different types of anxiety. And then, of course, there's anxiety that's caused by specific situations. We'll call that adjustment disorder with anxiety. And then when your anxiety, your symptoms don't fit into any of those categories, we'll call it anxiety disorder unspecified. So you're in high school and you, you're thinking about all these things. How did your first year go? Did you get really good grades? Yeah, I got really good grades, made a lot of friends, actually started dating a guy. So my first year went fabulous. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was the internal, you know, because my anxiety started out is mostly in my mind. So, mm-hmm. Okay. And so how did you deal with, I mean, I know I'm asking you to recall things from what, um, 15 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with all of these overlapping thoughts and these constant thoughts bombarding your brain as a, a teenager, a young adolescent? How did you deal with that? I spoke with my mom a lot about it. Me and my mom had an extremely close relationship. She told Mm -hmm. me a lot of things, you know, friends and family didn't agree with it because she was very transparent with me. And I did the same with her. When I was worried about things, I told her and she was my biggest cheerleader and motivator. Mm -hmm. She really was. Yeah, that speaks to that whole, uh, I've I've talked about this before, how communication really is essential. Um, it's It's essential in all aspects of life, but especially in your household with your children, you gotta have open dialogues and be able to talk to your kids about 
about about anything that they bring your way. And you got to be able to listen. Also, effective communication is not just what you're saying and how you say it, but it's being able to listen effectively. So, and you mentioned, you said your mom had anxiety also. So it seems like you were suggesting that there may have been a genetic component for you. Did you ever see your mom appear anxious or did you ever see her have a panic attack or um, did you see, ever see any of those manifestations of her anxiety? I did. I used to see her fidget a lot. Um, I used to see her pace back and forth at times. She used to worry and tell me, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And it's interesting because I was kind of like her coping skill. She used to talk to me about it. And then I used to rationalize. You know, in hindsight, I realized that's what it was. She used to tell me what she was nervous about. And I used to rationalize or help her get grounded or tell her take deep breaths or let's go for a walk. So as this was in high school, yeah, in high school. So how did, how did you know to tell her, okay, just take deep breaths, mommy, let's go for a walk and get this fresh air. Because of course we know you and I as mental professionals, fresh air, walking, get your heart rate up a little bit. So exercise is going to help. How did you, how did you know that in, in high school? Because I always listened to music and I noticed how certain sounds would make me feel a little bit calmer mm-hmm. and other sounds wouldn't. So in my mind in high school, and this was a lot on a teenager, I felt like I was responsible for helping my mom stay calm and be balanced and be well. And she never put that on me. I just kind of picked up that responsibility somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Man, I think that's, you know, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's precious. The relationship that you and your mother that you had together. So, all righty. So you became practiced at helping your mom, helping to um, extinguish her anxiety um, issues. And she would do the same for you. You would talk to her. So you guys were what basically it sounds like have processing sessions together. We did. Mm-hmm. And so that's what got you through high school with the anxiety. Did you ever see a mental health professional during high school or go to the guidance counselor? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, and in high school, like it was in my mood, there was probably some depression there too. Cause mm-hmm. I would get irritable at times, you know, I would yell, feel like they didn't understand me, feel like the world was ending, which I know a lot of teenagers go through that as well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but there was never no danger or self-harm or things of that nature but my mood did um, have highs and lows throughout high school Um, as far as the mental health professional that didn't happen until believe it or not grad school okay okay so in high school it sounds like you pardon no no it it doesn't sound like you were overly worried about a lot of things in high school it sounds like you are a, a little obsessive um, an OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm not saying you had that disorder, by the way, because people can have traits of OCD, but not actually have the disorder. So OCD is a, another specific type of anxiety illness, guys, as is post-traumatic stress disorder, which I, I think we'll be talking about during this episode as well with Ms. Shaw. So you're in high school, I guess, the remaining of your time in high school was okay, was manageable. Did you mm-hmm. have any any significant sentinel events mentally or you or you got through, you graduated and you went on to college? I did. And I would say um, my boyfriend helped me a lot. He was like my sounding board. He helped me get away. 
and he was like my safety. You was know? he your boyfriend the entire time you were in high school? He was. Yes. Oh. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Were you guys in the same grade? No, he's two years older than me. So, so when he graduated, did you guys continue to see one another? We did. Yeah. And after he graduated, did he leave for college or did he stay local? He stayed local. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he stayed local. And um, so was he your boyfriend until you graduated high school? Yes, he was. Wow. So you graduated high school and decided to attend college where? I decided to attend college at Broward College. Um, and I originally wanted to go to Kaiser. And my English teacher in high school spoke life to me. I always thank her because I remember I came to class and I had on a Kaiser University shirt Mm -hmm. and she pulled me to the side after class and she said, why are you going to Kaiser? I said, because you know my heart. I want to help children and families and I want to help them have a better life economically because I'm going to make it out. So I want to help other people make it out because that's what my mind was always on, making it out, doing better, helping people. Mm-hmm. So she said, you know, Kaiser is very expensive. And what you're saying you want to do, it sounds like maybe you should go to a university or a community college. She was like, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to help you get an honors and AP classes. And it may be helpful if you go to Broward College or another community college until you figure out what you actually want to major in. So I ended up going to Broward College. Kudos to her. Yes. Kudos to her. <laughs> wow. So you went to Broward and you transferred where? To FAU, Florida Atlantic. Okay. Mm-hmm. What are they? Owls? FAU? Owls. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Kudos to me. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have any difficulties at Broward College or was it you were just managing things? Things were, went pretty well. You were okay. Full disclosure, the beginning of my time at Broward College, I, um, I self-soothed a lot with alcohol. So in hindsight, I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing to manage stress, you know, Mm. and it was never excessive, but every time I would get fidgety, every time my body would be tense, every time my heart would start racing and I would be ruminating and ruminating, I would have a glass of wine. I would have a beer. I would go out, you know, so Mm -hmm. I kind of Mm -hmm. self-soothed. Yeah. And and that's a common thing for folks to do is self-medicate with alcohol. And some people self-medicate with cannabis and other types of recreational drugs. And and by the way, guys, next Sunday, I'll be talking about addiction. And my first Therapy Thursday session in 2021 in January will be with a, a man by the name of Richard Johnson, who was an alcoholic for nine years. He didn't start drinking alcohol until he was 34. And he's going to tell a story of addiction, alcoholism, depression as well, and suicidal thinking. So you are self-medicating with alcohol to um, reduce basically your anxiety. Okay. Yes. And throughout, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Throughout that time, that's when I started getting more involved in my local church. So I started to become more on a religious path because that was a point where I was like, okay, now there's two different roads. You could go down this road of partying and possibly risk substance abuse, which there's substance abuse in my family. So there's always that underlying fear too, because you mm-hmm. know. Um, so I said, you could go down this path and possibly get addicted to substances, or you could hold on to God, get more involved in the church and let that be your servitude. And I chose the path of the church and religion. So mm-hmm. that was the age of 21. 
All right. Mm-hmm. And your mom was diagnosed with cancer when you were what age? I was 19 the first time. She had radiology. It was in remission. Mm-hmm. And then it came back about four or five years later. So what type of cancer did she have, by the way, initially? She, squamous cell carcinoma. So it's a skin cell cancer. Mm-hmm. 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 So she was diagnosed with skin cancer as a black woman, a woman of color, which is not a common thing because we have melanin. We're melanated, y'all. So it is not common for a black female, or not female, but black person to be diagnosed with skin cancer. Mm-hmm. Where was her, where was the skin cancer located? The- um, it started in her cheek. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. So your esthetician may have told you guys that you should always wear sunblock moisturizer on your skin. Um, and so, yeah, cancer can happen. Skin cancer can happen to people of color and her started on her face, which makes sense because that was probably the, the area that was hit by the sun the most. Mm-hmm. The Did left mom- side. Which when you drive, when you're driving, yes, Lord. Oh my gosh. Does your family have history of cancers? Not skin cancer. No, our our family is more high blood pressure, cardiac, you know, lifestyle stuff. Yeah. 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 So left cheek skin cancer had radiation, went into remission. And then the next time, what was she diagnosed with? The same, same type of cancer came back exact same spot. So they had to do much more aggressive forms of treatment, which included surgery to remove it from her cheek Mm. and the lymph nodes in her neck because it had spread to the lymph nodes in her neck. Mm. So they had to do surgery to remove it. Um, She had to do chemo and radiation. And she actually had two different surgeries. One to remove. The second was a skin graft surgery. So, How old was your mother when this was going on? Extremely young. She passed at 48. So, yeah, she was young. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that second bout, that second go round, how did that, how did that turn out? That was the intense one. The one that resulted in the PTSD. It was about the course of a year, I would say. Mm-hmm. So the beginning of the year, she had her surgeries. I was living in the hospital, spending the night at the hospital, arguing with the nurses. Some nurses became my best friends because my family called me the pit bull. Cause I would always, you know, advocate for my mom and say mm-hmm. what my mom needed and how she needed the proper care. And I also became her nurse as well because I learned how to change her dressings. I learned how to soothe her. She also had a peg tube, so I learned how to feed her. I mean, I, I literally, you know, took care of all of her needs. So she, I got an apartment for her. I moved back down south because at this time I had moved up to Fort Lauderdale. So I moved back down to Hollywood, got an apartment, was taking care of her. My family came from New York to help me take care of her. Now, mind you, at this time, I was working a full-time job and I was in school mm-hmm. full-time. Mm-hmm. You so, were at FAU at that point. I was at FAU. Yes, mm-hmm. I was at FAU. So um, it became to the point where they were doing the treatments and it wasn't getting any better. And she was in the hospital a lot more. Um, so eventually I had to take FMLA leave from work and go down to three days a week. And then eventually as a family, we prayed on it and we made the decision to put her in hospice because it just became too costly, you know, to keep Mm -hmm. paying for all her medical supplies and her care and things like that. Mm -hmm. So she was in hospice around the clock care 
um, amazing job they did. I built really strong relationships with the nurses and then eventually she passed. So her surgery was in January, 2013. She passed October, 2013. Mm, wow. Mm-hmm. Had her cancer spread anywhere or was it still localized to the face? No, it spread. It spread because um, what happened was they believed that there were some left in the lymph nodes. So, yeah. you know, the lymph nodes go all throughout your body yeah. and it spread primarily in her brain first mm. and then from her brain to her stomach and so on and so forth. Wow. Yeah. And so what would you say your, your first indication or symptom of PTSD was at that time? I would not drive within a five mile radius of the hospitals that she was in. I so would avoiding avoiding oh, things that reminded you of your trauma. Mm-hmm. Avoidance, smells. Mm. So I would feel nauseous um, if I smelled certain teas, medical supplies, um, anything that reminded me of the hospital. I would start getting nauseous. I, I developed a lot of GI issues, stomach issues mm-hmm. from it. Um, And also I started having nightmares. I would start having flashbacks thinking I'm in the hospital with her, her waking me up at night, you know, hearing her voice, things like that. Me rushing to try and bathe her, get her ready. So there was a lot. And I probably disassociated a few times too. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever cancer was mentioned or if I heard something on the TV that mentioned cancer, you Mm -hmm. know, or donating to cancer, or if someone told me a family member had cancer, I would just get stuck and go beyond. And I couldn't feel anything, couldn't see anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, I was here, but I wasn't here. How long after, um, well, actually, I just almost made an assumption. I mm-hmm. almost assumed that your nightmares and the flashbacks began after your mother passed, but it's possible they may have began during that time period of, of January 2013 up until October 2013 when she passed. Were you having nightmares or flashbacks during that time? Or did those things begin after your mother passed away? The nightmares began while she was still here. Mm -hmm. The flashbacks um, and the avoidance and all of those things began after she passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was avoidance to the point where like how we're having this discussion. Mm -hmm. I didn't discuss my mom's passing at all for about four or five years because it was too much. So, yeah. Did you notice that you were irritable at times? Were you, did you have agitation or hostility? Extremely, yes. I was very irritable, very agitated. Um, Me and my grandmother got in a lot of arguments because as you know, that's her daughter, that's my mom. And me, the quote unquote advocate pit bull, I was my mother's voice. There was a lot of things she told me that she wanted and I spoke up very firm about what she wanted. So. Me and my grandmother bumped heads, which it stopped, you know, after she passed. But throughout that process, I was extremely irritable. Mm. Um, Certain friends I didn't talk to anymore because I felt like they didn't understand me. I felt like, you know, Mm. I have to put that in there. They didn't understand me. And that was just my emotion and in my mind. Um, So, yes, I was impulsive, certain things, quick to react if I felt like, you know, she wasn't getting the proper care or the things that she needed. Mm -hmm. So, mm-hmm. so you just described, um, I mean, you said you have 
PTSD, is it controlled now? Is it in remission or do you still experience symptoms? It's in remission. And then like we spoke about on the community manners, it resurfaced with George Floyd and it's back in remission again. Got it. Yeah. So we just discussed you were agitated, irritable, hostile. You had flashbacks. Um, Sounds like you were severely anxious. Also, you had intense anxiety. It sounds like to me Um, you had nightmares. There was social isolation. Um, You said you felt like your friends didn't understand you and you you emphasize that you felt that way. That was your own misinterpretation of um, your environment. So, and it sounds like you probably lost interest in doing things for, for pleasure. You were basically just focused on taking care of your mother and her needs. Um, and then you said you, um, you dissociated at times. So you had emotional detachment um, and you mentioned being impulsive. So yeah, it sounds like to me, definitely post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and you were also having panic attacks during that time. I was, there were times where I will pull up to work and then I would worry about, um, something going wrong or me not doing something. I would break down crying. My heart would be racing. You know, I would get hysterical saying, oh my goodness, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if I get fired? You know, like what if I get cancer? That's when that started too. Cause you know, the whole ruminating thoughts of getting cancer, um, always checking my body, you know, it it was very intense. Mm. Yeah. When was your, when was your last panic attack? My last panic attack, I would probably say 2016 year of graduation. Yeah. Yeah. When I graduated grad school. Okay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so your mom passed in October 2013. What, what year did you graduate from FAU? 2016. I got my bachelor's in 2014 and my master's in 2016. Okay. So you went on to graduate with your bachelor's mm-hmm. a year after your mother passed. Mm-hmm. And then you continued at FAU in graduate school mm-hmm. for your um, master's in social work. Yes. And that's when I started seeing a therapist. So what do you think led you to the therapist? Was it because you began studying social work and, and understanding and realizing, oh my gosh, I've been enduring all of these things for so many years since high school that culminated into this PTSD. I should see someone or how did that come about? It came about from um, me developing a therapist mindset that if I want to be there to help my clients through trauma, anxiety, depression, so on and so forth, I have to actually practice what I preach and go see a therapist to help myself through okay. their anxiety. Okay. So it wasn't not so much of you still struggling. It was just more so a part of, because that's the thing they encourage you to do as mental health professionals. When I was a resident, <clears throat> pardon me, in psychiatry and neurology, we had to see therapist as well. We had to see psychiatrists so we could be the patient. Um, So that was more so um, an effect of your training that presented that. Yes, my training and also because the anxiety, I'm always future focused, right? Always ahead. So it's Daniela, you don't want to develop substance abuse. Daniela, you don't want to have severe depression. Daniela, you don't want to get to the point where you're in a psychiatric hospital. Again, that's the 
extreme, cat- catastrophizing, you know, mm-hmm. worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as a preventive yeah. measure to those things, go and see a therapy, a therapist, be transparent for once, right? Because that's something I always struggled with, with the world. So be transparent with your therapist and actually try to build skills to work through this. Mm-hmm. By the way, when you mentioned self-medicating with alcohol, when you began attending church, did that resolve that issue by becoming more into the church and going down that path? Um, were you able to address the alcoholism or, well, it wasn't alcoholism. You were overusing. <laughs> I'm not going to diagnose you right. with alcohol use disorder. You were overusing, you were abusing, and you recognized it. And um, and you intervened on your own behalf and, and that resolved, correct? Mm-hmm. First okay. and foremost, I want to preface it with everyone listening, please make sure you get someone you could trust like Dr. Delvina. I totally trust her. So I'm extremely transparent and vulnerable right now. And it's very important, right? Mm-hmm. In full transparency, when I started going to church, the drinking limited, but there was still drinking. So it created depression because I started feeling like I wasn't worthy. I wasn't doing things right. I was sinful because why are you drinking? Oh boy, you know, so you Jesus church is, and religion into the equation and <laughs> shamed yourself. Yes, I shamed that myself happens. a lot. And that happens. My gosh, that happens so much with folks. The shame because of not being able to adhere to the rules and and, and the, uh, the policies set forth by the church, mm-hmm. your church, the religion. Wow. Thank you so much for, for mentioning that. Of course. It became, why are you drinking? Why don't you feel like you look okay? Why don't you feel like you're good enough? Jesus mm-hmm. has called you to do this. Are you not believing in him? Are you not trusting in him? And then it was just a vicious, vicious cycle. cycle. Yeah. And so, so we kind of went backward in that timeline, but that's okay. Cause this is important. How did you break yourself out of that vicious cycle? Or did that continue until you began seeing a therapist in grad school? That continued until I started seeing a therapist in grad school. And until yeah. my social work supervisor, who was also my mentor, absolutely phenomenal. In our supervision sessions, he used to stress the importance of bridging the gap, mm-hmm. you know, between Christianity and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. He used to remind me that, you know, it's not a sin to struggle with depression and mm-hmm. trauma and anxiety. It's just the result of my lived experiences. Mm-hmm. And the more I embrace it, the more I could use the skills to work through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. You know, one of the things I discovered early in life, I would say probably in, in high school, <laughs> tough things make you a better human. I'll say it again. Tough things make you a better human. So... I don't, I don't shy away from the challenges, you know, because if you, if you um, see it through, if you engage it head on, you just learn so many things about yourself and you learn a whole nother skill set in dealing with that, whatever that issue is, that's presenting a challenge for you. You learn so much. It makes you a better you. So, Okay. So the alcohol piece, once you got into, I think you said graduate school? Yes. Okay. So you got that under control. I did because it started to become too, okay, every time I had a stressed out day, mm-hmm. going home, I'm having three or four glasses of wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
And then once I noticed the pattern, I said, I have to meet a therapist and I have to develop other skills to cope. Wayne cannot be my auto, wine can't be my automatic go-to when I'm stressed out. So we talked about anxiety, guys, and how there's so many different types of anxiety. The same holds true for depression. There's different types of depressive disorders. Um, and, and depression is really a um, clinical term. You know, um, when I was raising my son and I would talk to him about expressing emotions, um, emotion and emotion, emotional intelligence is, um, is essential in life you know, being able to express yourself and process what you feel, because we're not always going to feel happy or content. Um, sometimes, you know, you were mentioning in high school, you had highs and lows. Um, sometimes we feel down, we feel sad, we have melancholy, we feel blue. So those are terms I like and encourage folks to use. Um, because sometimes everything is not depression. In the end, it's not always depression. And I think, that's one of the challenges, Daniela, for some of our patients is that they're chasing depression. And so if they're not with an astute professional, mental health professional, that professional may be chasing this quote unquote depression as well. And it may not even be depression. Mm-hmm. It may not even be depression. So, you know, in the most severe form, there's major depressive disorder. And even that has different variants, mild, moderate, severe. We have uh, major depressive episodes that are associated with being bipolar. Loosely put, Daniela mentioned highs and lows, but she wasn't bipolar in high school. She was just saying she, as most teenagers do, was experiencing different um, um, emotions on her spectrum. Um, It doesn't mean bipolar, but that is a way that people use to describe bipolar's highs and lows. Um, So, you know, those are the more severe types of uh, depressive illnesses, but then you also have um, seasonal affective disorder. Some folks struggle with that. Um, You also have something called, uh, well, we used to call it dysthymia. Now it's called persistent depressive disorder. So, um, and you can have, again, adjustment disorder with depressive symptoms. And then there's the depression that's tucked away in PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. So there's different types of depressive disorders. Um, but you guys don't have to boggle your brains and trying to sort out, well, which one do I have? You should see a mental health professional and they'll help you sort through that. Um, because knowing is important that way, you know, how to address your, to address your symptoms and, you know, what tools may need to, um, come out of that tool belt to help you get through or to help you overcome your episode. So Depression in graduate school is what you were saying. I think you mentioned. Yes. And I'm actually glad you mentioned seasonal affective disorder because it's mm-hmm. more seasonal affective disorder. Because what happened was okay. um, after my mom's passing, every year from August to about March, mm-hmm. I would be irritable. I would feel hopeless at times. I would feel like I wasn't good enough. The low self-esteem would start again. I wouldn't want to go out with friends, wouldn't want to go out with family. Mm-hmm. Extremely, extremely isolating. Mm-hmm. Difficulty focusing, difficulty concentrating at times. You know, I would still force myself to do it because there's work that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, a battle internally. Um, but there, yeah, there was a lot of fatigue. I would oversleep sometimes, mm. you know. 
oversleep sometimes. Mm-hmm. And like the reverse, the latter part of the year, because with my anxiety, I sometimes have insomnia. So mm-hmm. when I don't have insomnia and I'm oversleeping, I have to check myself and see if there's any other symptoms. Gotcha. Yeah. So guys, seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. You hear about it more in places where there's less sunlight, um, less sunlight during certain times of the year. So up north, out west in the state of Washington, um, in Alaska, that's where you get more of these episodes of seasonal affective disorder. And the severity is also different. Um, I have had patients who moved to Florida, who lived in New York, um, places like that. And, and they still bring with them. Although in Florida, you know, the temperatures are milder. We have warmer temps, even during the winter. And we have, we have sunlight, the sun sets around the same time, you know, but um, it's warmer, but those folks every year would still experience that bout of depression. It's a mood disorder. Seasonal affective disorder is, um, it's a mood disorder that occurs the same time every year. And it occurs in climates where there's less sunlight at certain times of the year. So, you know, and Daniela mentioned it is the fatigue, the sadness, oftentimes the hypersomnolence, the oversleeping, um, the poor concentration, the social withdrawal, all of the things that you can get with other types of depressive disorders. So does that still happen to you when October... You said it begins, oh, in the summertime, did you say? No, no, no. It began oh. in, um, yeah, she passed in October. I would uh-huh. notice late August till like So in the summer. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and yeah. does that still happen to you each year? The last year it happened was 2018. And I'm actually mm-hmm. shocked it didn't happen this year, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the skills, when you use your skills, it's amazing how you can really manage. Yeah. So why do you think it didn't happen this year? You said because of your skills. Yes, because I'm fully living in my purpose. And I think that plays a major role because the depression for me was always a result of not being good enough, not doing a good enough job, not doing what I'm supposed to do on this earth and always feeling like something was missing. Now this looks different for everyone, right? So I don't want, yeah, I don't want people to feel like you have to compare. No, depression looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. So when I'm not in my role, which is more of a community role in helping children and families, I notice my mood starts to, you know, fluctuate because mm-hmm. I feel like there's a hole, there's something missing. So mm-hmm. I believe that in this season, because I'm fully enmeshed in my role, um, it's helping to offset those symptoms, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm constantly giving back, constantly relaxing, you know, constantly loving people, using my positive supports, setting mm-hmm. boundaries. I mean, there's a lot more work done on my end in mm-hmm. this season. Gotcha. So guys, you've heard me talk about diet. You can use diet to fight depression, anxiety, and PTSD, which as I said, it's a combination PTSD of anxiety and depressive symptoms and things and um, some sleeping stuff sprinkled in there. But you can use diet to fight depression, anxiety, and PTSD and to try to prevent it. So that's why I always stay on this diet kick. I'm always talking about brain love food and, you know, 
hydrating your brains and all of these things. Let's let's talk about now, uh, Daniela, some of the tools that you discovered and some of the things that you learned from being in psychotherapy to deal with your own anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Oh, so before I ask you to mention some of those tools, one of the things I think that's important besides diet is having an avoid list. I said that y'all avoid. We all need an avoid list. There are things you should avoid people you should avoid because of the negative energy they may bring or the things, the negative situations that um, could um, sort of try to alter your energy and make things a little more challenging for you. Um, So did you have an avoid list? Yes, most definitely. Um, I would say probably starting in 2017 Mm -hmm. because I learned that certain people triggered me. Certain people would disrupt my peace. There it you know? is. Yeah. So yeah. after learning that, I developed an avoid list. Yeah. You got to know your triggers, man. Got to know your triggers. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. So, you know, and the things that could have been on that list was your, your avoid became alcohol because you realized that you were overusing to try to, to soothe yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. So alcohol was one of them. Um, I'm glad you mentioned diet because that's a huge piece. I stopped eating meat because I realized meat would always make me feel exhausted. It would always make me feel drained. You know, Mm -hmm. I would have trouble waking up early in the morning and I'm like, what is it in the meat that's doing it? Um, Because I started researching different things. And once I stopped eating it, I started taking omega-3 pills, started taking vitamin B12, you know, the natural supplements mm-hmm. that were immune boosters and mood stabilizers. Mm-hmm. And then alcohol is a quote unquote depressant, right? Mm-hmm. You hear that all the time. And yep. there was a correlation of more glasses of wine I had, the more I started crying and looking at pictures and ruminating on memories. So once I limited the alcohol, started avoiding it, eating healthier a lot more fruits and vegetables, um, separating from people who only speak negativity and their emotional intelligence is, is poor. You know, mm-hmm. I learned to separate from them, uh, separate from those who are operating in a lot of personality characteristics that kind of correlate with narcissistic, you know, mm-hmm. specifically men. So if there were men who could never apologize, never admit when they were wrong, feeling like they were above the world, grandiose, manipulative, mm-hmm. I had to learn to stop dating those type of men because they would also impact my mood. So I had to start avoiding them and be single. Absolutely. And you found um, your peace in being single, didn't you? I did. I did. By the way, what happened to that boy from from high school who you were still dating when you graduated high school? We kind of grew apart. We -hmm. grew apart, um, but we're still friends. You know, we still talk. Yeah. Still in each other's life, close with his family. He still does my family. So, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So you found peace in being single. You discovered, mm-hmm. I guess, more about yourself. Yes. It's definitely been a learning process because the old Daniela, quote unquote, kind of had to be, you know, reborn again. I couldn't mm-hmm. keep thinking the same way. Couldn't keep the same company couldn't keep having the mindset of you don't need therapy you know or 
Mm-hmm. Everything needs to stay quiet. Everyone doesn't need to know your business. Don't tell people what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Holding everything inside caused a lot more anxiety for me. It really did. Because it's almost like I was harboring all of that worry and that negative energy and that doubt. When I let it out, I'm able to help myself heal while also possibly helping someone else heal. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us some of the other tools that you learned along the way and psychotherapy or on your own to deal with um, the anxieties and the depression. You talked about diet. You So are you uh, a vegetarian now? Are you still meatless or are you pescatarian? Pescatarian. I love okay. fish and seafood. So I'm pescatarian now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was diet. Exercise, exercise, exercise in nature, right? I can't Absolutely. do the gym. I have to be out in nature. There is a calming element mm-hmm. with the fresh air and the trees and yeah. the sun and the birds. Like something uh, about that just really calms. Yes. You know? Yeah. So, I try and walk at least three times a week. Even if mm-hmm. I tell myself the five minute rule, Daniela, you're only going to walk for five minutes. I get out there and then I walk for at least 30 minutes or 40 mm-hmm. minutes. Mm-hmm. So exercising. Also nourishing my mind, body, and soul. And what that looks like for me is reading positive material. So that's the Bible, you know, uh, that's different clinical textbooks. That's black history books, you know, mm-hmm. self-help books books about peace and freedom and self-love that helps me to nourish, you know, and it helps me to feel valued and wanted. I reflect on previous successes. I journal a lot, you know, about my goals, achievements, visions, things of that nature that helps me to stay grounded. Um, Meditate a lot because you're constantly going, 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 going. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to force myself to be still and listen. And in doing that, I get clarity and I'm able to maintain my focus. So when the world is chaotic, like it is now, I'm able to be calm and centered because I practice meditating, praying and listening every day. Okay. And then positive supports. I talk about that a lot, meaning the people who, you know, understand, who validate, who see the humor in life, and who are able to reciprocate my energy, those are the people that I stay close to. You know, those who I feel like we're on opposite paths, I don't necessarily talk to them often because it's somewhat draining, you know? And I used to force myself to talk to them often, and then it got to the point where my mental health became more important than accommodating everyone else's needs. Yeah. That's an important notion to grasp is that you don't have to make yourself, you don't have to expose yourself to these toxic things and negative vibes, the negative energy. Once people accept that and they're able to, um, to move past it, you, you just, there's a level of liberation of freedom that just feels so good to you and not being in those environments with those folks, being around that energy. And then also keeping the faith, um, because I feel like you have to always have hope. People hear faith and they think you're automatically saying religion. Faith means hope, the things that you don't see, you know, and that has to be at the core because as dark as your days get, you have to always have an underlying belief that it will get better. Mm -hmm. You know, it will get better. There's a way for it to get better. 
So because I always hold that belief, that's another, you know, driving force that motivates me to elevate and mm-hmm. exceed. Mm-hmm. And then sort of embracing all my flaws, you know, fully accepting every single element of myself, which I noticed for some women, that's kind of difficult, especially when we've been over-sexualized, abused, mistreated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we really have to focus on loving ourselves, And I've been on that journey in the season of loving myself unconditionally. Okay. I love it. I love all the, the tools, everything. It's a well-rounded, um, very comprehensive approach to life. And that's the thing is, um, you know, life, it can feel like a challenge, guys, but when you have the tools in your tool belt to, um, to just to be able to manage on a daily consistent basis, it makes it a lot easier. It doesn't feel as challenging when you place these things into practice and you're um, executing these tasks that Daniela mentioned on a regular basis, it really will prevent certain things from occurring. I mean, we can't prevent everything, but for the most part, when you're making healthy decisions and you're living a healthy life, you really do avoid a lot of pitfalls. I truly believe that. So, Daniela, if someone wants to come and see you, if they want to schedule a session with you, uh, you see adolescents. Mm-hmm. What's the youngest child you'll see? Usually um, age nine. That's the youngest. Yeah. Okay. So guys, Miss Daniela Shaw is a psychotherapist and LCSW licensed clinical social worker, and she's available. You're taking new patients? Yes. Okay. And right now it's COVID-19. So folks have been offering uh, virtual sessions. Who knows what 2021 will look like if insurances will continue to pay for virtual sessions. But if you're paying out of pocket for a session, I guess they can have it any way they like, right? That's right. Virtual or in person. Are you seeing people in person? Yes. Limited amount of people in person. Okay. So what number can they call ma'am to schedule an appointment? They can call 561-406-9915. Again, that's 561-406-9915. Okay. And give us that website again, please. The website is peaceatlastcounseling.com, peaceatlastcounseling.com. Okie dokie. So guys, thanks for being on the couch tonight with Miss Daniela Shaw and me discussing depression, anxiety, PTSD, or maybe it's all of it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Miss Shaw, for coming on and being so transparent and open and sharing your life. Yes, you're more than welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. So guys, you'll hear from me again next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Same place, same time. Remember, everybody, say brain love, Michelle. Brain love. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, 
Everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love. Thank you.